Welcome back, guys, to the JPS Education Portal. And we have Brian Miner today to discuss navigating slip-ups. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. And as always, we have Mac, who is uh, out there in Sydney facing the blistering sun. He's just applied his sunscreen for those of you who were concerned about his skin health. And we're going to talk all things uh, slip-ups and managing those tricky periods where our nutrition or training might not go to plan and how we can obviously deal with that and some of the strategies and insights these guys have to improving, uh, obviously managing these situations, but also decreasing the frequency that they happen. So Brian, let's uh, hand it over to you. What would be some of the main slip-ups that you see with your clients because you work with a lot of clients, um, obviously bodybuilders, but also gem pop. So when the word slip up comes to mind, what what do you think? Like, where does your head go there? Um, usually, I guess more often than not, people frame a slip up within the context of a cut, like if they're in a deficit. Um, you know, it's certainly not limited to that, but usually it's people that over eight, you know, beyond what they're, their goal was for that day. So, you know, whether it's, you know, the magnitude, sometimes it's not actually a slip up and they perceive it as a slip up where, you know, maybe they're a hundred calories over or something and it's, you know, nothing that's going to make a big difference. And then there's people that have kind of that on off mentality, either they're on point or things are, you know, a bit more chaotic. Um, they kind of lose that sense of control. So, you know, it's usually related to, yeah consuming more than they had intended or wanted to based on their goals. Yeah. Awesome. That's uh, probably where my head goes uh, when hearing that term. Mac, what about you? What are your thoughts around the idea of a slip up? Yeah. So I love this question because I think slip ups are something that everyone encounters when pursuing a nutrition related goal. Uh, the goal is usually of a notable magnitude and therefore requires a notable time frame. So a slip up is sort of like a when thing, not an if thing. Um, so how would I define it is it's going to depend on the strategies, the goals and the expectations of uh, what we would deem a slip up. But really overall, it's a deviation from goal. And I'm going to add something to that goal and value directed nutrition. Any deviation from that um, that is deemed undesirable could be called a slip up. Awesome. Awesome. And I guess an extension from that is, well, what are the main causes of slip ups? Um, you know, when, when people are you know overeating, when they're in a deficit or they're moving away from their intended goal and plan, and it doesn't align with their values. Um, what are some of the causes for these things? I think a few obvious ones, uh, you know, change of environment, social pressures, all of these kind of things when it's, there's a situation that's outside of uh, their regular routine. Um, and beyond that, what are some of the other causes um, that contribute to these slip-ups, Brian? What, what do you think there? Yeah, I mean, I think in the context of, of dieting, usually, you know, hunger, um, cravings, obviously, are kind of the two big ones. But, you know, what, what you said, I think, is also very common. Probably less talked about, though, the changes in environment, the social aspect. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that they, when they're by themselves and they're in their routine, they're, you know, everything's more or less automatic. And then when they get out of that, you know, around family, it's, it's you know, that 
their mom or grandma, you know, prepares a, a nice meal for them that's, you know, higher calorically and they're, um, you know, they, they feel that obligation or, or pressure to, you know, consume and not be, uh, yeah, not, not be an outcast <laughs> in, in other words. Um, but yeah, I think the environment, the environmental aspect and the social element plays a big role as well, like you said. Yeah, I remember when I was yeah. first starting in the fitness industry and I was a uh, you know, hardcore bodybuilder, I would go to my nonna's house and all I was eating at this point was, you know, chicken, broccoli and probably about five foods. And, um, you know, I used to love her food before I started bodybuilding. Like, you know, yeah, anyone who's got a nonna, they know that nonna's food is elite, number one, and you don't say no to nonna. That's, that's, that's right. And um, I used to always turn down her food and bring my own food and, you know, she hated it. She used to, you know, take, take real offense to that. And I can see why many people wouldn't be able to do that. Like I was obviously very stubborn and very committed to my goals and in, a, in an unhealthy way, might I, might I add, but um, you know, that's just what I had to do at the time. Um, but that is a huge factor. And Mackenzie, I know you speak about these sorts of, um, you know, things a lot, being able to navigate social situations and indulge, um, you know, in an appropriate manner. Um, so I guess the question I have here is, how do you differentiate between indulging where it's something that um, you know is not necessarily um, it doesn't have a negative connotation as the word slip up does? Um, how would you differentiate between these two terms so when somebody's indulging, for example, and that's like, oh, that's okay, I mean, I indulge versus oh, I've slipped up. Like, where do you draw that line? Yeah, that's a, a very tricky question. Um, I'm gonna say that you transition from an indulgence to a slip up when the level of indulging or just simply indulging doesn't serve a justifiable purpose or bring a worthwhile benefit. So for example, that could be, let's say you go out to dinner for your friend's birthday and you're at a pizza restaurant, you know, you have a couple of slices and you're, ticking off the boxes that relate to why you're at that occasion. You're out there to socialize, spend time with your friends, uh, relax, enjoy some nice food. But then, you know, you sort of had a couple of slices, you're feeling satisfied and then you start to keep going. And then it's like, ah, we'll have some beers with that. And then, ah, we'll get some ice cream after. And it's just, it's not actually benefiting the social interactions. It's just adding more calories, which isn't actually necessarily a bad thing, but I guess we could, for the sake of argument of the argument, refer to this as like a, a fat loss type of slip up uh, when we have some nutrition parameters. So, because I think it's important to remember that, you know, whilst we have nutrition goals, we also have values as humans. And for many folks out there, the social health aspect, uh, time with friends and family, that's an important component of value sets. Um, so we should always, or at least in my opinion, we should consider that when we approach nutrition. And, and I think it's a good idea to make an allowance for that within a nutrition related goal, uh, for reasons such as longevity, um, but also to protect that total health perspective. You know, I think it's very easy to get caught up in physical health, which often is sort of a direct, direct, um, I guess, link to, uh, fat loss type goals, but we've got to remember that if we want to be a healthy person, we have all these other components of health that our, our, our diet should support. And I think because of that, it's justifiable to take a, a trade-off here and there um, because we want to sort of promote not just the physical health side of things. We want to make sure that we're paying attention to the bigger picture. 
Yeah, awesome. Brian, is there anything you want to add there? Yeah, I like what Mackenzie said there. I think it's, you know, anytime it goes beyond what you're there for. And, and I see this a lot where people will, but let's say they, they go out to eat where they might be able to check the boxes, the social element, um, you know, go on a date with their spouse, whatever. But when they get there, they, they have the option to have something that's conducive to their goal, or at least, you know, mitigate the downsides, you know, staying calorically conscious. And since they're out their their mindset might shift from, you know, doing that to like, okay, I'm going to get everything that I'm craving since I'm, you know, out and about and eating at a restaurant. So there's usually options I think that are available that are certainly more conducive to others. And for me, it's, it's when I, cause I think, you know, I'm certainly not immune to this, you know, it, it's when I, like you said, go above and beyond what would accomplish the objective of going there to begin with because the, the goal is never to go there and gorge yourself and be stuffed um but you know there's there's a lot of times people continue eating after they're there because they're hungry and things can that's where there can be you know some setbacks a little bit yeah i and i think that's that's a really good point is that nobody actually intends to to gorge and stop themselves. And I think this um, you know, brings up something that's really important to, I guess, identify in this discussion. Um, and it ties back to that indulge versus when it becomes a slip up is that, um, you know, some of the terminology around binge eating, um, you know, the objective binge with the amount of calories that you obviously consume, but then there's a subjective component, which is heavily tied to a loss of control. And I think that's where that line is. It's like once you've eaten to a point and then you start to feel like, you're losing control for whatever reason, where it's social pressures, whether it's the hunger, um, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, there's that loss of control. And I think that's when we know that we've had a slip up is we feel like we've eaten an amount, generally speaking, that um, is beyond what we would otherwise eat. And we're starting to consume foods without any purpose or benefit. And it's because we've lost control. Um, so in that situation where people have slipped up because of a loss of control. What are some of the things that they can do in the moment, I guess, to, to try and gain back some control? Is there any hope in those situations? Like what are your thoughts around this kind of stuff, Brian? Yeah, I think being aware of, of the situation when you go in and just knowing what the purpose is goes a long way. Um, you know, I find a lot of people get into the situation when, you know, good foods are paired with, with drinks, because oftentimes that will lower your inhibition and, you know, you tend to not care as much about what you're eating. So, um, but yeah, if you kind of catch yourself, you know, in the middle of a meal going overboard, I, you know, I usually recommend people stop, kind of remind themselves like, okay, am I, am I craving stuff? Am I bored? Or am I actually just hungry? And, you know, it's, it's a, it is a good feeling when you, when you leave, you know, a social setting like that, a restaurant or whatever, and you, you know, that you've, you've stayed on the tracks towards your goals, but you've also, you know, given your time and energy, you know, to the, the pe other people that are there. Um, but yeah, I think just being aware of it, that, that it, you can be susceptible to that heading in. If you are somebody that is, um, is, is the first thing and, you know, maybe picking foods next time that, 
you're less likely to want to overconsume. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think awareness is huge. Mac, is there anything that you think that uh, people can do in the moment to, I guess, gain back control? Yeah, uh, that's a very tricky one. Honestly, um, I don't, if, if it's kind of started to slip, I don't think there's a whole lot that you can do. Um, however, taking a pause and saying, you know, if I scratch the front bumper of my car, am I going to write the car off? Or if I get a flat tire, does that mean that the car needs to go into the bin? Just kind of having that, that pause moment, is this indulging, serving me more? Um, you know, what's the most productive thing that I can do now? Is it, is it worth just going uh, all or nothing? And I think a root of a lot of this is that all or nothing mentality. And that relates back to expectations that we set for ourselves. Um, I think if you want to avoid that scenario, the setup, so what happens prior, I think is so pivotal. And for example, things like, you know, not skipping meals, you know, I'm very cautious of encouraging people to calorie bank. Um, because when you let yourself get too hungry and you combine that with the anticipation, it's sort of lending itself to the floodgates opening. Um, I think other things like uh, giving yourself unconditional permission, because if we haven't given ourselves permission to indulge, as soon as we indulge, we're, we've already slipped up. And then when you combine that with that all or nothing mentality, like I said, the floodgates open. So in the moment, yeah, in summary, in the moment, taking that pause, like, is this serving me? Probably your best bet. Uh, but I think that's nowhere near as powerful as getting the setup right. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So on the setup, then what are some things uh, besides potentially avoiding calorie banking, uh, the all or nothing mentality and not giving yourself permission? What are some other things we can do to obviously prepare ourselves for potentially deleterious situations where slip ups are more likely to happen? Yeah. I just want for you, Brian. Sorry. Anyway. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, sorry. Um, I think I, yeah, I covered a few of them. So, you know, making sure that you're managing your hunger levels, uh, doing things like not calorie banking, having a protein and plant uh, preload, I like to call it, um, sort of in the hours prior, just to take the edge off that hunger. Um, trying to generally be relaxed, you know, taking that mentality of I'm giving myself permission um, to indulge because this is going to serve X, Y, Z purpose purposes within um, my life and it's going to align with my values and just really trying to put things into perspective and not coming into that social occasion with the mentality of I'm deviating from anything. And when you have like rigid or nothing approaches to a particular goal, set of strategies, you know, oh, I've signed the contract, bro, sort of thing, can't deviate, then you're kind of setting yourself up for viewing, like viewing it as a failure. I've failed. And when you failed, you know, that sense of self-efficacy, what's the point continuing to try, you know, you combine all those things and it's like overindulging. So yeah, that's my two cents on that one. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, oh, no, no need to apologize. Should be, yeah, I, 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 go ahead. No, no, I was just telling Mackenzie that he should be sorry for interrupting you. Uh, but very, <laughs> very, very good points, Mac. Brian, what, what would you like to add to that? Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing he mentioned, you know, having some protein before you go can take the edge off of hunger and, and not entering those situations starving. So, um, you know, one thing like with intermittent fasting, like there there's sort of this fine line if people kind of bank their calories or backload their calories, you know, if there's 
a large difference in hunger throughout the day. Like I know for me, like I, I won't get hungry till noon usually, you know, unless I'm deep into a deficit or something, but I get very hungry in the evening. So it's kind of finding that happy medium where I'm, you know, cognizant of that heading in. If, if I'm going to be like, you don't want to set yourself up for that situation where you're going to be ravenous in those, um, in that environment. And the other thing is, you know, having, at least a general idea, you know, if you know where you're going to eat, um, you know, may, maybe look at the menu, you know, the, the nutrition facts online are never accurate, but, but it's, you know, see, see what, like, I think looking at the menu ahead of time can help because you can see, okay, what, what would be a conducive option here? And you can plan on that rather than being influenced by things that, that look good in the moment when you get there. Um, by no means required, but I think going in sort of with a plan can help. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think having a plan for those situations um, and many of them that people aren't going to be able to have a plan, like say, for example, when people go to weddings and things like this, um, you don't know what's going to be served. Like you, you're really blind going in. Uh, but I think where possible having a plan for people who probably slip up or lose control more often than not in these situations is really important um, because like anything, you have to um, develop this skill, right? Over time. And a lot of people can't just go in and go, okay, I'm just going to make an informed choice. Just, you know, focus on you know, eating the foods that I feel like in the moment and stopping when I feel full and listening to my hunger and fullness cues while socializing. Like there's a lot of moving parts there and a lot of different skills that needed to be developed over time. So I think having training wheels on at the start is really important. So for people who are beginners and probably slip up and you know fuck up most most times um, when they're eating out or whatever, they need to go in with a plan and have an idea as to what they're going to eat, how much, and having more constraints on things. And then I think the goal should be over time to obviously take those training wheels off and learn to go, okay, now I can go to these things without having to worry about the menu, without having to really focus on, you know, trying to put my uh, cutlery down between bites or, you know, having this protein uh, plant meal before to minimize my hunger and like trying to just take away all of those, I guess, um, you know, tools that are helping you manage these situations. I think that should be the goal for a lot of, a lot of people, but they have to realize where they're at. Like, are you someone who is super susceptible to blowing out every time you're in a social situation or are you someone who has a little bit of control, but it's just every now and then in certain situations with certain you know people or certain foods or cuisines, whatever it is, where you are slipping up. So I think identifying where you're at, are you someone who's learning these skills or are you, you know, somewhat okay in those situations and making sure that the plan is tailored towards your ability levels, I think is, is huge, but yeah, I totally agree that having some form of plan, um, you know, is necessary for most people. It's like most people aren't competent where no plan and just listening, you know, to your hunger cues and understanding your values and having perspective. It's like, that's the goal, right? Like that's the end goal. Very few people are there. We wouldn't have an obesity epidemic if if most people were there, right? So I think yep. we, have to, we have to try and get people there. And I know that Max, I can see him like walking around and tapping his fucking legs over there. He's got something to say. <laughs> well, well. Well, no, um, I definitely agree. Like it's, it's not a zero to hero thing. I think these are skills and levels of consciousness that, that take time to build. Uh, I think, yeah, that, that idea of, you know, checking the menu, having more of like a plan sort of thing is, it, I would describe it also as training wheels because 
I think in the long run, it's probably not what you want to be doing. I would generally err towards the side of rather than having, say, I'm going to have this because I've checked the menu before, rather than doing it that way, having a set of guiding principles instead. So guiding principle could be like, I am going to be conscious of trying to include a lot of plants in whatever I order or whatever is available. I'm going to be conscious of the level of fat within the meats or the cooking methods. And I'm just going to use these general guiding principles, but then I'm going to sort of triangulate them with what's going to be most enjoyable, uh, what's going to serve the purpose of why I'm there and finding the sweet spot. Because like, you know, you could go to a social occasion and just get like grilled fish with salad. And that's obviously going to be the most fat loss goal aligned in a lot of cases, but it might come at the expense of enjoying that time and that occasion. So I think you do want to consider what's like most appealing, but then find that sweet spot because yeah, like I said before, I think a lot of issues are derived from all or nothing thinking. And if we start to take more of a spectrum mentality or a dim and non mentality, I think it's conducive to more longevity and just overall a healthier relationship with food goals, dieting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then the other thing is, I think I would also view checking the menu and even like tracking in advance or anything like that as training wheels also, because, you know, there are going to be times in life where you're at a wedding, you don't have control or there's no menu for that, or, you know, you decide on the spot where you're going to go or plans suddenly change or, you know, all these things happen that, you know, if you don't have a backup plan or if you're like, I'm so fixated on eating this because I've checked the menu and this is what I'm having. And all of a sudden, like that can't happen. Guess what? You've actually just slipped up. You failed. And think about the psychology around that and what could then occur. And I would see that as undesirable. So yeah, agree training wheels, but end goal guiding principles. Um, and also being able to do it on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely there. Anything you want to add there, Brian, or. No, I, I'm glad he mentioned that because it, that probably is the best way to describe it is, is training wheels because you you, won't, you will be in situations where you're not going to know and and you need to be self-aware in terms of what, you know, you might be susceptible to and, you know, use those principles to, you know, navigate through it. Yeah, it's like in, in those situations where you don't know what kind of foods you're going to have or you're unable to plan as much. And you're aware that, okay, I've got my training wheels on. You know that those situations, you don't have your training wheels and that you're likely to fall over and slip up. And that's okay because you're still practicing. Um, and I think that's a, a useful way to look at it. But I guess we've covered sort of the pre, uh, I guess, slip up uh, situation. And then obviously we've discussed a little bit, um, you know, what you can do in the moment. But then what about after the fact? Because I think this is a big one because Mackenzie, you always use the analogy, you know, you've slashed one tire right? You slipped up on one day, why slash, you know, the other three tires and keep slipping up. Uh, but obviously it's a lot harder in practice and in real time for people to regain control of their nutrition once they've had that slip up or sometimes they'll regain control, but they try to make extreme adjustments to their diet and compensate for their overeating. I think this is a very common one. Um, and that's one thing that we have to avoid. So here's, I guess, the question, what are the things that we should do post slip up to help us get back on track Mackenzie, over to you. yeah i absolutely love this topic because i think it's like it's so important you mentioned something there like every experience is an opportunity to learn so i think that's the first thing it's not necessarily a negative thing to slip up it's an opportunity to learn but also understanding that slip ups are a when thing as i said before they're not a you thing they're going to happen 
So, you know, our success in our nutrition pursuits is largely a product of how we react and respond to those slip ups, you know, but it's difficult because, you know, you might've built up some momentum. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, that momentum's gone to the wayside. You might feel a little bit upset about it, guilty, all these sort of things and pulling yourself out of that rut is quite difficult. So like you said, Jacob, starting off, it's a learning opportunity but also coming at it with the approach of it's normal. And also um, there's always a reason behind a slip up. You know, I think uh, I speculate that a lot of coaches when clients slip up, I'll try harder next time. You know, you're going to have to do better than that. Not really troubleshooting. Every behavior happens for a reason. As Josh Smith would say, every behavior happens for a reason. They don't happen by chance. Slip ups do not happen just by magic. So I think if we're going to, you know, react and respond it's about okay what's the most productive thing to do right now it's to reflect and learn uh and see if we can try and you know establish why it happened and what we can do to reduce the risk of it happening in the future and maybe it's a case of it's so infrequent um it's just something that you know we can't really we don't, it's, there's no point in change anything it's so infrequent that we'll just move on okay so now we've troubleshooted we've reflected we're moving on now what's the best way to move on so if there are take-home lessons from this experience we can try and apply them. Should we try and compensate, you know, bank calories fast the next day to sort of undo damage? I mean, you could, but I think there's a lot of risk attached to that. Um, and we run, for example, the risk of creating a bit of a binge restrict cycle. And, you know, whilst, you know, eating less the next day or calorie banking and these sort of things can be useful strategies, they're very easily overused and over relied upon, and that can generate a lot of risk. So I'm a proponent of, What's the most productive thing to do right now? Let's just slide back into our routine. Let's not skip breakfast the next day. Let's not, you know, you know, take the carbs out of our lunch. Let's just slide back into our routine and let that normality establish as soon as possible. I think that's the most safe, risk-free uh, approach to take. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I often advise my clients to avoid being reactive with their nutrition, especially if they're someone who is in this beginner stage of their uh, eating it, or there's someone who's more susceptible to, um, you know, pathological like eating tendencies and you know body image stuff, uh, which I think a lot of the demographic that I work with are more susceptible to being physique athletes. Um, I think being reactive with your nutrition, especially after a slip up, um, is just like you're going to start playing, you know, calorie Tetris across a week, and like that's not a good idea. Like you, I think one person or to my knowledge, like only a few people have ever really beaten Tetris, right? I think that's like, no, you can't beat Tetris. Just like, well, how do you beat your reactive nutrition? It's like if hunger's involved and you've got, you know, all these other things, um, you know, that are making your nutrition difficult to gain control of, I think it's just a really bad idea to try and, uh, yeah, adjust things post hoc, right? It's like you have to be uh, proactive, if anything, um, and avoid that. And Brian, what are you looking up there? Are you looking up to see if anyone's been Tetris? I hope you are. Well, I, I am actually because I want to fact check that because just recently, yeah, I, the, saw, the, I got to fact check you here. The yeah, I saw on social media the first kid. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, I think he uh, thirteen. Yeah, thirteen years yeah, old. His first kid to like officially beat Tetris. You but go. your point still stands. <laughs> hey, I, I wanted still, that to be fact checked because I yeah. also saw on social media. I was like, 
Ooh, I don't know if this is actually 100% true, but I saw it on social media, so it must be true, right? Well, I, I'm, I'm basing my fact-checking off of the the post I saw on social right. media, so maybe right. maybe it has. I was surprised by it, too. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's that's um, not a PubMed link. That's not a systematic review. So yeah, not sure about the reliability of that data you got no, there, Brian. Not, yeah, no. I'll dig into it. I'll dig into yeah, it. Yeah, dig into it. Okay, um, so yeah, on but, that point, Brian. <laughs> but yeah, I I agree with everything both of you said. Um, you know, being able to just, I think, acutely if you screw up, remind yourself. Like, okay, this is of that analogy, you know, slashing one tire. There, there's objectively, there's there's no reason why continuing is going to help anything. Um, but yeah, it's almost like selective amnesia. You know, you're you're just moving past the day, starting over and, and getting back into that structure. And, you know, I also recommend people, you know, if, if they do that, if there's somebody who weighs in daily, you know, maybe take a day or two from weighing in because... I know for some people, if they weigh in the next day and they're up from additional glycogen, sodium, whatever, you know, they, that can be discouraging. And you have to ask yourself, like, is this data informative towards anything anyway? Um, because it's usually pretty misleading. So I usually recommend people avoid weighing for a couple of days after a slip up just to let things stabilize a little bit and just get back to the plan. Um, but I'm, I'm a, I, I'm pretty against the caloric banking, um, you know, leading up to one of those events or, you know, restricting after just because I think it can lead to that um, binge and restrict cycle for some people susceptible to it. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the binge restrict cycle, people need to be aware when they're sort of doing things that are going to facilitate that. I think that's a huge key to, I guess, unlocking um, you know, your ability to move away from slip ups over time is to realize when you're getting into this like stage of, okay, well, I've overeaten now I'm going to undereat and noticing those patterns. Like a lot of people don't notice the patterns, but they'll you know, fast in the morning, do extra cardio. And then maybe they're not hungry that day. They stick to the plan. They feel great. But then it's like, okay, two, three days later. And I think this is where having a coach is really useful because most people are you know, caught up in their lives. Like they're, they're zoomed right in. Um, you know, they're not paying attention to the longer term trends and the patterns of what's going on. Whereas a coach can really be useful in being that objective eye that notices, okay, well, every time that you've eaten out and you, you know, reduce your calories the next day, um, you know, the next four days later, you're, you're fine. But then after that, then things start to fall apart again. And I think people just really struggle to see this because they don't actually have that bird's eye view of, you know, their schedule and what's happening with their nutrition over longer time. Well, most people don't anyway. Um, is there anything that you want to yeah, add to that, Mac? Uh, oh, what I would say is probably that a slip up is only a problem when it turns into a write-off. You know, in most cases, what we would deem a slip up is going to have a negative impact on the goal or progression towards it that is akin to like a drop in the ocean. If we let a small slip up turn into that write-off, then yeah, we're going to have a, a level of impact on the goal that's going to be notable. Um, so I guess that's probably the only thing that I would add to that. Yeah, yeah. Brian, anything that you want to chime in there? No, nothing else to add there. I, I, Yeah, echo everything he said. 
people. So if people are slipping up very frequently um, and they're unable to sort of get that momentum or back into their routine, Mac, uh, I'd be curious to hear what you think about how people can get their ball rolling with their nutrition. If there's someone who say they're coming to a coach for the first time, they've been, you know, almost spiraling out of control. They've just not been able to really get their nutrition um, on a roll, so to speak. How do you get people to fall into that routine? Because obviously you mentioned sliding back into your routine, but for a lot of people who have uh, frequent slip ups, like there's no real routine there. It's like it's happening every so often. And it's just, there's no real routine that they can slide back into and their self-efficacy and sliding back into routine may be very low because they're just unable to string together a consecutive, you know, on plan, so to speak days. How, how do you get people into routine? I guess, what are some of the things that you can do to, to fast track that process? Yeah, that's a fantastic point there. I mean, someone comes to you, they've tried and tried again. They fall, slip up, give up, you know, throw the towel in, throw in the towel, whatever the saying is. Um, firstly, well, why? And often it's like, oh, I was too hard or I couldn't stick to it for more than X weeks. Or, you know, it was all good, but then after a while, you know, it just got a bit hard. I went on holidays and all these sort of things. And I think all of them link back to expectations being beyond what is feasible for a meaningful amount of time. So I think a big part of it is actually adjusting the expectation to something that is almost certainly achievable. And the client has actually expressed that's the case. They're confident about it. And you've also gone into plan B's and sort of things and, and what have you. Anyway, that's beside the point. It's almost like pulling things back and starting off with just one or two things and building up over time. Not setting the expectation to at a certain level that they're inevitably falling, going to fall short of, which they have done 20 times already. And they're already feeling like they're a failure because they've tried 20 times. They've tried to lose weight for 10 years and they've failed every single time. Um, so yeah, honestly, I think a big part of it is just pulling the expectations back. And obviously that means that you're taking steps away from optimal efficiency to as progression towards the goal. Like you're taking steps away from optimality, but like a plan or an expectation or whatever is only good as someone's willingness and ability to actually adhere to it. So, okay. Yeah. Doing this other thing might be more optimal for this fat loss goal, but like they're never going to do it. So why are we even having this discussion? Um, and then I, sometimes you also might get people who are resistant to taking a pullback approach. They're like, ah, no, I want to be more hardcore. It's like, okay, sure. Um, how's that gone for you in the past? Yeah. You know, I've been trying something like this for 10 years. Hasn't gone so well. Okay. Are you open to maybe a different approach where we build up over time? Even if they might even say no to that, in which case it's like, why well, I'll support you in what you want to do. Um, and then maybe we can have a discussion in a month when you inevitably fail and you might be more receptive to that. So, um, but also, I think Dr. Mike mentioned this in the last one, uh, Jacob, and it was a really good point. It's like, there are situations where someone might not be ready to change. Um, and I think that is a whole nother kettle of fish, but it's worth mentioning that because it's not like I have, I by all means do not have the answer to every possible client who's tried and tried again and, and, and cannot find that routine. I definitely don't have the answer to that. Yeah, I, I think at some point you're you're exactly right, Mac. It's the expectations being lower um, because obviously sometimes if people are falling short, they, they might be just chasing something that they're unable to do um, 
or achieve at this point of time. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of coaches don't really want to admit or advise their clients is that if they're constantly slipping up, that maybe you just need to put a pause on this. You know, obviously there are other things that a coach can help you with, um, you know, specifically a PT who's training someone as well. Like there are other obvious benefits of, um, you know, getting programming or training from uh, a coach as well as, um, you know, maybe putting that pause on nutrition goals. But if you're someone who's trying to lose fat or you're, you know, trying to get your nutrition in check um, and you're really struggling to, to do that, it's like, well, maybe it's just not the right time to focus on that. Obviously there are, that's not to say just abandon it and fucking go off the rails and, you know, gain 30 kilos. That's obviously not what I'm saying here, um, but whether whether it's a fat loss fat loss goal, especially, I think if you're trying over and over and it's just not working, you might need to have that conversation if you are a coach or with yourself and just say, hey, maybe this isn't something that I can actually achieve at this point in time, and that's okay. I've got to focus on other things to maybe set me up for that fat loss goal in future. And I think taking one step back to go two steps forward, if you're somebody who's having very regular slip-ups is absolutely necessary. Like you need to focus on weight maintenance, you know, developing some solid behaviors and consistent um, routine around your eating and dealing with all the psychological, you know, I guess bullshit that you've got going on when it comes to your food, because there is something there. And I think a lot of people don't want to admit that. Um, and coaches are often uh, not willing to have that conversation with their client because once they take away that goal, their purpose and, you know, their profession and livelihood is somewhat um, diminished and it you know, compromises obviously their bottom line at the end of the day. So I think that's a really important point, Mac. That was a really good point there, Jacob, about if they, if they say to the client, like, Hey, you know, this goal, like maybe not so good for you. It's like, they feel like maybe the, what's my purpose as a coach? What, what value am I providing? Yeah. Client? And they might be a little bit hesitant to consider that as an option. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, but that's where coaches have a lot of other value in other ways. Right. Uh, I know, uh, you know, Brian works with people on the nutrition and training. It's like, you can focus, you just double down your training. Okay. We're going to eat a little bit more, put you in a surplus. Hey, we'll try to control the rate of fat gain, for example, but more calories gives you more opportunity to, you know, practice creating that routine and consistent eating behaviors um, with more food and less hunger and, you know, less likelihood of, you know, binging and things like that. And I think that, Temporal step back away from the goal, uh, in my experience, for a lot of clients is not only necessary, but super beneficial. Like I coached one girl for a long time and like all she wanted to do, she's, you know, an influencer online. Like she has 500,000 followers. Her, you know, um, physique is heavily tied to, you know, her career and her identity. And she was always wanting to, you know, do diets and she got really lean and um, had rebounded uh, a little bit and gained quite a bit of weight. And when she came to me, she wanted to go back into a diet. Um, and I said, that's not what you need. I said, I'm not going to put you in a deficit. Like if you want to get coached by me, I'm sorry, uh, but that's not what I'm going to do. We're going to focus on your training. We're going to you know, put you in maintenance, get these eating uh, issues under control, and then we'll revisit a deficit um, you know, when that happens. And I worked with her for no shit. I think it was about 12 months or more without putting her in deficit. And she would come to me every like four weeks. Like, can we die now? I was like, no, like, no, you just can't like, and that was a that was a rare case where I actually had someone who who was fed up with this yo-yo dieting and always you know struggling with binge eating and stuff like that. So that was sort of at that point where they were willing and ready to do this. Um, a lot of people, especially Gen Pop, who aren't in the industry and understand what maintenance calories is and don't understand the psychology around eating and aren't exposed to that kind of uh, I guess dark side of dieting like she had. So she was aware. 
um, that more dieting could be, you know, detrimental. Um, but a lot of people just aren't going to see the value in stepping away from their goal. It's like they want it, they want it now, they want that short-term gratification, they want to see the kilos come off the scale. If they're paying for it, why aren't I getting it? Um, you know, and that that's a really hard thing, I guess, to um, yeah, deconstruct in people's minds is to show them the value of stepping away from the diet. Anything you want to add there, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's as coaches, that's one of the hardest conversations to have is when like you, you don't want to come across is like, I know what's best for you more than you know what's best for you. But but in some cases, if you can see this is an ongoing pattern, you can have that conversation and kind of deconstruct it and say, like, okay, well, you know, based on your history, why why would this be a goal? And I think one thing you can do as a coach is is just ask questions. And um, you know, it, in the past I've had some success there where they, they kind of talk themselves out of it um, just based off of, you know, honest answers. Um, but yeah, that, that part's always a struggle. And I think there are times where, you know, eating at maintenance, having a larger caloric budget, it, it almost always is a better environment for building the habits that you want for sustainability. So um, if you feel like you're struggling there, then yeah, it's not a bad idea. There's no shame in doing it. And really, I think a lot of people, you know, they want the fastest route from point A to point B, but it's oftentimes not a linear path. And so, um, you know, just reminding them of that, I think is important. Um, but I think there's also situations where people, you know, maybe it's like an every few month thing where they, they have a slip up and overall the plan is conducive to them. And then they have a hard time getting back on track. And I think in situations like that, I, I try to remind them like regaining momentum, like just overcoming that initial inertia of getting back on track is it's hard, but it's doable and it will get easier. So I think a lot of people go from a slip up that maybe cascades into a few days or, you know, weeks, months of, you know, eating without structure and they're discouraged and it's really hard to get the ball rolling again and just getting that ball rolling like reminding them that they've, they've done this in the past um is i think can help because it's once you know it seems to me like a couple weeks of consistency with people you know just taking it day by day that oftentimes just re builds that self-efficacy that maybe they felt like they lost and Know, rebuilds that structure and the habits that they need to continue but um yeah just reminding people that it, it gets easier once you do get back on the plan yeah that's a good point i actually didn't think about that initially but yeah somebody who has been super consistent for a very long period of time and then when they do slip up like that's almost more jarring uh than you know for that person anyway than the would be or could be to someone who's like slipping up more regularly because they've become more accustomed to it like someone who hasn't experienced it for a long time and that feeling of i guess fucking up and you know having that loss of control like that could be very jarring even though if you look at um you know the long term i guess data of like you know their consistency with their nutrition it's like it's only one one data point it's like well they, they're killing it um you should have no issues like it's only one day like last like three or so months like what's the issue um but because it's been so long without having any issues like that issue could be very very um disruptive 
to their overall psychology. And I think, yeah, that that's, I, I think, very common with physique athletes or your more serious gym bros who are like really committed to the plan. They can go eight, 10 weeks, um, you know, and then they have that big slip up and then it's like, oh, fuck. And then they really struggle to get back on track. And I think it's important to distinguish between those two types of uh, slip ups, like the more frequent slip up, they're the ones who need to focus on like learning how to get back into routine and just creating that routine. Like that's the primary objective. Um, whereas those people who are clearly having the routine and they've got that dialed in and ha then have a slip up that requires a different approach to, I guess, navigating that. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I think uh, one demographic very susceptible to this is, you know, people coming out of a contest prep. And granted, the, the goal has shifted, but a lot of people will, they go from having all of this militant structure, you know, in the final month or two to not having a, a goal that they necessarily feel good about sometimes. Like, okay, I'm, for a lot of people, it's, it's reframing. Like, okay, the, the objective isn't to stay lean here. Um, you know, the objective is recovery and there's some fat gain that's, you know, required for that, but you'll see people, yeah, where it's their first slip up might be, you know, in the 48 to 72 hours post show that they frame as a slip up. And obviously there's, you know, magnitudes here. Um, but it's, I think in those cases, it, it's like you said, it, it's hard for people. It's jarring um when they've had all this control and then it can kind of snowball post show and they might gain more than they had wanted to so yeah i agree i think the that the point there about like it's post show for a lot of people it's, it's post diet as well and i think the primary reason that people struggle with the slip up after a diet um or a successful phase of consistent eating let's just call it that you know to make it more general is that those situations where they're moving from one phase like a deficit or fat loss to the same maintenance or post-show whatever it is the goals change oh. so the militant structure and the consistency um doesn't need to be there in the same way that you know i think as max said at the start of the podcast it's like the expectations and like being able to navigate changing phases and the expectations within those phases is what people struggle with um and, and that can be uh, also the case for different situations, like the expectations around, um, you know, their nutrition when it comes to say a workday week versus when it's the weekend and they've got social events. Like you have to have different expectations for those two different types of days, right? And I think being able to adjust your expectations with your nutrition um, according to the situation you're in, the phase you're in um, is very important. I think a, a useful tool uh, to helping you manage these slip ups, right? What what do you think of that? Adjusting your expectations, I think, is super important um, because what might ease, like what might, ease, what might usually might be a piece of cake, walk in the park, whatever for you in one scenario might be an uphill battle in another scenario. Um, so I think having flexible expectations, being able to adjust them on the fly, is quite a useful thing. Um, you know, not being a bodybuilder or anything myself, it was interesting listening to you guys talk about um, people who struggle with the post-show period, the post-diet, post-show period as well. That's another point I wanted to make. And um, I think, like, it's hard for me to know what is often the reason for that, but I think I'd be quite confident to say, you know, you don't have that carrot dangling in front of your face anymore. 
Um, And it's very difficult to go from being so militant in your approach, as you said, Jacob, to being like, now I should adopt a different approach that's more like life focused. And I think I can understand why so many people can struggle with that. That I think whenever you've been really disciplined at something and you've been really consistent with something, you know, and even if you know that that's not a forever thing, moving away from that level of diligence can be quite difficult psychologically. You think like, am I losing the, you know, losing the, how could I say, like eye on the prize sort of thing. Am I losing that, that touch, you know, because you've built up this ability to be like really focused on something. And um, I think that's also a reason why a lot of people might struggle in that phase as well. Yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, the bodybuilder, I guess, life cycle, um, you know, and the season is quite short in comparison to say, other athletic endeavors, like say basketball, over we see the exact same thing post career, right? Like at the end of an NBA player's career, like once they've lost all that structure and commitment to that, you know, goal, it's like, well, they they struggle, they don't know what to do, and you know, a lot of uh, players, you know, have mental health issues because of that. And I think the same uh, happens with um, bodybuilding, but I guess the impact is more noticeable acutely because when you move from you know competition phase to post show. Um, all of a sudden you're gaining a heap of weight and you've lost your identity um, as an athlete, as a bodybuilder uh, in a very short period of time. Whereas the, I guess the effects of not being an NBA player anymore, like that would sort of not be as um, you know quickly thrust upon you. Like the season ends and you know, you sort of wake up, you're still an NBA player. You've gone through the postseason before or the off season. And it's just, it's a bit more gradual thing, but nonetheless, they still struggle with it. Whereas for, people coming out of a diet, whether they're prep athletes or anyone else. And it's like, if you regain a lot of weight, you're, you're seeing that effect straight away. Like, you know, when you wake up, your cheeks are puffy, the scale goes up, your clothes aren't fitting anymore, or you're feeling shit about yourself when you've achieved all this, you're getting all these compliments from people at work, how much weight you've lost. Now you're gaining it back. And it's like, that can be really, really difficult. Um, so I think there's, there's something to be said there. Um, and I'm sure Brian will have some thoughts on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, for me, the first step is just making it very clear that the goal has changed. Like this is, if you're, if you're a bodybuilder post-show, who's, you know, obviously if, if you're somebody who's wanting to continue, you know, with the sport and, and training and, you know, training for muscularity and everything, I, I think there, there is a, like disassociating from the previous goal and knowing, okay, this is, it's giving yourself kind of permission. You know, I know we were talking about slip ups before, but in this context, like what you might deem a slip up at the end of prep isn't probably as big or a slip up at all post show, you know, um, especially in that acute recovery phase. So we want to avoid like the loss of control, but I think giving yourself that permission, like, okay, it's okay to gain weight right now. That's in my best interest as an athlete to do that. I think, goes a long way with a lot of people um, versus the mentality of, you know, and it's, it's one reason like at 3MJ, we're big advocates of like the recovery diet approach, you know, expediting that rather than, you know, what might be termed like the traditional reverse diet where you're slowly walking calories up, you know, with the intent to stay as lean as you can. And we know objectively through the research that there's there's a degree of fat gain that's, you know, necessary to, to fully recover and 
trying to stay as lean as you can and eating as much as you possibly can. Like it's not really leading us towards that goal and it can lead us into that situation of feeling like you're failing. And when you know what the short-term goal is and what the steps are to get there in reframing that, I think makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, Mac. Anything you want to add? Um, yeah, well, I, I agree with the reverse diet thing, you know, not as a bodybuilder or anything, um, even just with general weight loss phases, I don't see any, any purpose in reverse dieting. Um, oh, look, maybe a couple of scenarios when there might be benefit to you, maybe psychologically for some folks. Um, mm -hmm. but I think that, yeah, like you're obviously much better off just getting back to that maintenance because the sooner you bring calories up to maintenance, the sooner you can, I think, well, my general approach that I'm a fan of is we'll bring calories, like let's say a client being tracking, let's just use that, bring calories to maintenance, but then it's a more gradual transition away from diet behaviors, expectations, and the whole mentality. So in that sense, like, I guess my preferred approach as a coach is somewhat reverse diet-like, but not with the calories. We're not walking calories up, as you said there, Brian. Um can I, just yes, add, I definitely agree. Quickly, can I add to that quickly, Matt? What I like to do with the reverse dieting is instead of doing it after the diet, which is its typical application, I do it during the uh, the fat loss phase. So when the client's lost that initial amount of weight, say the rate of loss is around one yeah. one half percent of body weight per week, um, and we've got most of the the fat off that we want to, yeah. um, and then maybe the final you know two to six weeks. Uh, depending on how long the diet's been, then I start to bring the calories up to make the deficit smaller, teaching them how to eat more food without necessarily compromising their body composition um, and actually having benefits to their body composition, um, you know, with glycogen storage, um, you know, some weird things uh, related to, to stress, water retention, all this kind of stuff, um, and actually walk their calories up so that the hunger decreases, or depending on how much weight they've lost, how long they've been dieting, like this is... Um, talking for a gem pop client, for example, um, who won't necessarily experience hunger in the same way a prep athlete would, uh, bring their calories up slowly. Um, so they're not afraid of more food. It doesn't have any negative body composition effects uh, in the short term. Um, teach them that eating more food is uh, the goal and it's okay and it's part of the fat loss phase. They're still seeing the number on the scale go down, you know, slowly but less frequently. Um, so you, you just start to take away some of the diet fatigue and to prepare them, you put them in a better position for the post-diet phase, right? And I think that can really mitigate a lot of the um, dire situations that people experience with post-diet blowout. Mm -hmm. If they're eating more food for a few weeks, at least beforehand, and including things like diet breaks and refeeds along the way. So obviously teach that skill that eating more food is not necessarily a bad thing. And seeing the scale go up isn't necessarily a bad thing. And it really does teach people to manage their expectations around food and their scale weight and you know, get a little bit more comfortable with those types of situations. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really good point. In, in my view, you're kind of like, you're showing the benefits of eating a little bit more. And because it's still in the dieting phase, it's, I guess it would also help someone realize that, you know, that can be a helpful thing or, you know, eating more calories can be done in a conscious way or done in a controlled way. And you kind of like, it's maybe you could even view it as like practicing for when the diet yeah. is actually over. And obviously, you know, in your context, the folks that you guys work with, 
her bodybuilders like the eating the what you're describing there to me is like eating into the show which is something i've i've heard before and it also makes a lot of sense if you've got a lot of a lot of diet induced stress on the body um fatigue those sort of things and obviously there's the glycogen components and all that that bodybuilding stuff that almost not just bodybuilding athletes in 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 competitive sports and what have you yeah and that's actually a good point like (laughs) i i do that with athletes in competitive like physical sports not bodybuilding but you know, whether they're a weightlifter, mountain biker, whatever it might be, it's actually something that I've often done that I didn't think of in that way. I've kind of reversed diet of them in a sense. So you've kind of contradicted me there. You caught me out there, Jacob. Well played. I didn't mean to catch you out. I wasn't trying to do that. Brian, anything you want to add there? No, I, I think, yeah, when you first said that, I, I thought to myself, like, it's, it's it's similar on paper with the idea of like ending your diet then reverse dieting because you're still going to be in a deficit as you gradually reverse diet after a diet but knowing it's, that it's, it's part within, of the diet it's, it's within the original time frame of the exactly. diet not okay yeah. we're a 10 week diet and then we're going to reverse it's like your reverse diet is within this original 10 weeks yeah right right no i, I understand what you're saying i think that's that that's huge. I think is people say like, okay, this is, this is part of my plan now to finish out this diet. And then once you're done with the deficit, it's like, you're already eating at maintenance. Um, it's not like, okay, the deficit is over. Now I'm turned loose. Um, and let's see if I can control it. It's, it's a structured part, which I, I, I definitely think psychologically that has a lot of value. And I think almost like an exit strategy, right? And I think that's what helps people is like having a strategy that walks them slowly because the body likes to be coaxed along. And I think anything that is really disruptive or too large of a disturbance to, you know, physiology, whether it's dropping calories right down, hunger goes right up. You know, increasing activity, you know, drastically. Well, your, uh, you know, non-exercise activity thermogenesis is going to plummet, right? Um, and I think the same can be said for you know psychological um, stuff related to nutrition. Like when we go from a deficit and all this structure and this goal, like Max said, with the carrot dangling in front, to all of a sudden, okay, we can have more flexibility now. Like you know, post show, okay, well, yeah, here's your calories, but you don't really have to follow them anymore because there's no deadlines. Um, right. That really you know, immediate transition psychologically from, okay, well, I've got this goal. Now I've got this goal. Holy shit. That requires completely different things. That's what fucks people up. I think that Mm -hmm. is why most people struggle with their nutrition um, coming out of a diet is because it's just that large overhaul in like their psychology, their goal, like what the expectations are, what their behaviors should look like, the amount of rigidity or flexibility, all these kind of things. I think if you can transition people more slowly and, um, I guess make that less of a obvious and distinct change. Um, people can deal with it a little bit better. They're not like as uh, messed up. And I think like that's definitely something I've uh, played around with over the years. And it seems to work for most people. And obviously, it, like it doesn't always work. Like there are some people who are just like when they know the fallacy phase is over, they're still going to just fucking blow out anyway. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. For a lot of people, it does, it has improved, I guess, the overall severity of that post diet um you know blow out and like how people manage that and i guess their overall feelings post post diet as well like they're not as out of control as what i think my clients used to be when i would just go cool we're finished the diet go to maintenance or do whatever you want now yeah yeah and i think you know contest prep is it's a little bit of a different situation because people you, are you so can't, you, there's there's no plan that's going to work post show you like i don't yeah, give a shit yeah. what anyone says like <laughs> you just got to write it out 
You got to yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that's the big takeaway with athletes post show is like it's not going to be perfect. The success rate of traditional reverse dieting post show. Well, I, would like to, I would like to. I would like to know your success rates post show with like recovery diet, reverse diet, whatever. Obviously, like some athletes can absolutely do it, but like if you yeah. all the competitors that you've worked with, like what's the what would you say percentage wise the success? I, I, I am yet to, I mean, I haven't really done a reverse diet post-show for somebody in probably like seven years, seven, eight years, yeah. but the success rate was abysmal. Like it was, you know, they, they would do it for a while, but it's like, in order to do it, I think a lot of people sacrifice all the other elements of freedom that they, they should have post-show. It's like, if you a reverse dieting and you're, you know, living by yourself and you're a recluse, like, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot easier and more practical then, but it's probably not the right thing to be doing, you know, cause there's, especially with a show, I mean, there's sacrifices other people make. You want to loosen up, um, gain some flexibility for other people as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think the recovery diet though, I mean, there's, there's kind of the people that think, okay, now I'm, the goal is to gain like very rapidly. And it, it is, it's a certainly a more assertive rate of gain, but I think psychologically people don't beat themselves up as much. And I, I honestly think for the majority of people, they end up sort of in the same place. If they, if we, if I were to assign somebody a more traditional reverse diet, they're probably going to gain pretty assertively anyway, because they don't have that carrot in front of them, like you said, and it's, it's going to be harder to, to stick to it. But if I just say, okay, this is the acceptable amount, like, or this is the target amount that we're aiming to gain. And there's usually a range there too. You know, it's not like, okay, you need to gain eight pounds and any more than that suboptimal, you know, we, we give them a range. And at that point, like it's giving them the, there's just not as much guilt associated with it. Um, but like you said, it's just needing to ride it out and, you know, even recovery diets, like it's, it's not easy, especially, you know, if you're a first time competitor, but you know, it, it does get post-show period gets easier with each season, I think for most people. Um, but the people I think that do the best are the ones who, understand like okay i competed now this is what i need to do to get better this is the next step and these are this is what's required in order to recover and part of that is is a surplus in, in being okay with weight coming up i like that and i think uh, that's a good place to wrap things up the you know key takeaway there is like a surplus isn't your friend and if you're constantly finding yourself in a surplus um you know without planning it or having that as part of your goal, then maybe you actually need to spend time in a surplus to, to sort some shit out. Um, but that was really good guys. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Brian, where can people find you? Um, team 3d muscle journey, um, 3d muscle journey.com. And then I'm on Instagram at BD minor and Myo journal. Don't forget to send people to that website. Myo journal. Yeah. My journal is under construction at the moment. It's okay. still up, but it's there's some tweaks being done. A lot of really good articles there. Brian, thank you. Mackenzie, thank you. And guys, we'll see you all soon. Thank you, guys. All right.